everybody, welcome back to another edition to Strike Noise, your weekly, sometimes even twice weekly, uh, baseball history podcast. I think we're going to, now that the World Series is over, I think we're just going to go back to once a week, but I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff Paulson. Joining me as always is uh, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, did you notice that the ceiling's gone? Uh, yeah, they, the, the retractable roof is just... They, they oh, is that? What, oh, that's pretty awesome, man. Good timing, right in the middle of winter. Yeah, is it actually sunny in Seattle today? Uh, it's sunny. You just don't want to go outside and feel how cold it is. Oh, I'm still in shorts here, unfortunately. Yeah, lucky you. I say unfortunately, just because I'm at the point where I'm ready for some cold weather <laughs> and maybe to stop these fires from burning down my state. Yeah, so. no kidding. But, uh, also, that means that baseball season is over. It, the regular, you know. No. Not even the regular season. Baseball season's over. It's, it's I know. Sad. It breaks my heart. But, you know, we're counting down the days till pitchers and catchers report. I actually did watch live. I watched two live baseball games, parts of them today. I watched. <laughs> and last week, I, I, I threw out that link for uh, uh, words above replacement or beyond replacement. I forget what it was. But that that streaming link. And uh, I watched live baseball from both the Dominican Republic and Cuba today. Nice. You, you found uh, the Cuban League. Where did you find this? It's on YouTube. There are a lot, like I said, a lot of these leagues just broadcast their games on YouTube. And uh, really, the Cuban League was really interesting. It, uh, it looks very cheap. I'm just going to say it. I was a little dis like the field is not in great condition. I mean, it's Cuba. Let let's be honest. It's not, you know, they don't have a lot of money to spend on this, but I, I was expecting the the level of play to be a bit higher because you know, you get these guys like uh, you know, Cespedes and and these other Cubans that played in this league and then come and they're superstars here. Yeah. I didn't see any of those. Huh. <laughs> I was I was waiting for one of those players that looked better than everybody else but i didn't didn't see it hmm but but it's, it's still quality baseball i imagine it's okay baseball i i would i'm gonna be honest i would equate it to maybe a ball oh wow from what i saw gotcha the the dominican league was a lot better and it was also fun because it was the broadcast was better better uniforms uh stadiums were really nice it was you know that looked more like you know higher you know triple a baseball right but, now you found you found this on youtube as well yeah nice. yeah they just broadcast you can watch the games after they're over but they broadcast them live on youtube and again uh, i i'll put that link back in the show notes that's where i found it i joined i subscribed to one of their channels in youtube and then the suggestion is like oh here's some more live baseball so yeah and then there's the premier 12 tournament that's going oh, on that's right. as well yes which that's over in Asia, so you got to be up a little bit early if you want to see that happen. But uh, that's again, there is plenty of live baseball to be had. Uh, not even live, just new baseball. If if you're not watching it live, but yeah, there's that's, still baseball. To, that's great. That's man. Good news. I I tell you what, it's like um, it's not the major league, so it's kind of like methadone, but uh, it'll get me by. No, and you know what's fun? I love watching it because every now and then you'll see somebody you recognize. Like, oh, you nice. know, whether they are a current major leaguer, like some of the Dominican league uh, players were, or, uh, you know, just somebody that 
had a cup of coffee or used to play and just kind of hanging on. Right. <laughs> you get to see those a lot. So it's a lot of fun to watch. One one thing I did notice in the Dominican League today, uh, the umpires look like they're NASCAR drivers. <laughs> they have this huge Tropagas logo, <laughs> which is, just cracks me up in the first place. But Tropagas on the front of their, their shirts. It's very effective, though, because the home plate umpire, the whole game is basically an ad for Tropagas. That's uh, that's something Major League Baseball hasn't done yet. I don't think you should give them the idea. Well, they're, the swoosh is on the logos now. Did you see that? There's Uniforms are for sale now that will be worn next year, and the Nike swoosh is on the front of the jersey. It is not on the sleeve, so yeah. there's, there's logo creep happening. Logo creep. <laughs> That's that's what's going on. You logo sprawl. Yeah, it's 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 getting there. It's getting there. One thing, uh, one an update from last week's show. You had the uh, you told us about some Twilight Zone baseball episodes. Yeah. and we had talked about Rod Sterling being a baseball fan. I said, I wonder if he was a Dodger fan, and then I I questioned, oh, I you know were the Dodgers even in L.A. when they were shooting Twilight Zone? Well, I I, I looked it up. The Dodgers moved to L.A. in 1957, which I, I knew that, but the Twilight Zone premiered in 1959. Okay. So he could have been Probably going to Dodger games. A Dodger fan, yeah. And that episode was shot in uh, Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, which I know you're saying Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, but there is a, a replica of Wrigley Field. It's where they shot Home Run Derby. Oh yeah. yeah, you know that black and white home run derby show. Yeah, yeah. That look. It, I, now that you say it, I, that's the stadium, all right. Yeah, it's absolutely. It looks. It looks like Wrigley. They've got ivy on the wall. They do. It's. It's since been torn down, but I. I believe that's. You know, they had a minor league team there. It was. I think the PCL actually played. Uh, you know, before before there were California and West Coast teams, the PCL played there. I believe as well. Huh. So there you go. Yeah, that's cool. All right, I, I found something here right up your alley. You're going to enjoy this, I think. Okay. Career strikeouts by innings. Okay. I'm going to give you one guess as to who holds the most career strikeouts innings one through seven. I am going to guess Nolan Ryan. You are absolutely correct. Bingo! <laughs> so he has the most career strikeouts in the first inning, the second inning, the third inning, yada yada to the seventh inning, wow, which is incredible. In the eighth inning, Hoyt Wilhelm, what? who another starter. Yeah. So I mean, that's pretty impressive. No kidding. Then we get into the ninth inning, and now this is kind of more along the lines of what you would think would happen in the ninth inning. Uh, but it's Billy Wagner has the most strikeouts in the ninth inning. You're kidding me. No, nine hundred thirty-six. No. Billy Wagner. That's awesome. Who knew? Yeah, you would. I, I, I mean, you would think it might be Mo Rivera right. or you know one of these other guys, but Billy Wagner. That's impressive. Uh, extra innings. They they just lump of them all, but the extra innings. It's a tie with one hundred and sixty-six between Trevor Hoffman and Rich Gossage Goose. Interesting. So I thought that was that's interesting. a cool stat. I figured you would you would enjoy that, and I figured you would also guess if I gave you one. <laughs> one guess. Yeah. What do you know? I went straight to the Nolan Ryan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, last thing I wanted to touch on before we get to our our debuts segment is: Do you remember a? It, this was a VHS, which is dating it. 
this was before DVDs, though, but do you remember Major League Baseball put out a videotape called Now It Can Be Heard? Man, it sounds familiar, but I, I'm not recalling anything about it. So I bought this VHS. Actually, it came out in 1992, which is... I thought it came out a little bit earlier, but 1992. This is a video put out by Major League Baseball where it was basically you're just they have players and umpires and and managers mic'd up. And this goes back a long time. You know, they weren't always mic'd up, but sometimes it was just caught on, you know, on a field mic. Right. But this was big time for me because this was, you know, before the Internet, before you have so much access to all this stuff. You actually got to hear what players and managers and umpires were talking about. And I thought this was the, you know, I was in junior high and high school. So this was big time for me getting to hear all this stuff. You know, so it's got like, uh, what, Sparky Anderson was was talking to somebody and, and talking a bunch of crap. And it's got a lot of Tommy Lasorda talking to umpires, you know, just like not arguing, just like in between innings, kind of, you know, shooting the breeze. Right. All this kind of stuff, people talking in the dugout, in the clubhouse, stuff that you didn't have access to at all, you know, before Twitter and right. social media. Right. I felt like I was an insider when I got this this VHS. You, you kind of were. Oh, I, well, yeah. I mean, at that point, yeah. But I still have this videotape in a box downstairs. I just have no way of <laughs> watching it. But that's what YouTube is for. The entire thing is on YouTube, and I am so excited. I watched it today. I will put a link in the show notes so you can watch it. I, you can tell I've, I've been a YouTube uh, fanboy today. No kidding. Wow. Pretty much all day. I, I'll put a link in that. I just, it's so fun to watch. If you've got 40, 50 minutes you know, during lunch, whatever, having an adult beverage, I guarantee you you will enjoy watching this if you like baseball from the you know 80s and 90s especially because it was it was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff from that time but really good stuff for you you probably knew you know got some of the stuff being a bat boy you got to hear the inner workings but yes for somebody like me growing up in salt lake city i got nothing so yeah. it was really cool. yeah a lot of talk uh mound talk and stuff like that is really about nothing yeah, it really is. It's just, and again, it's, you know, baseball's just the pace of the game, the length of the season. You get a lot of guys just talking like you would with your buddy if you're sitting around waiting for something. Yeah, it's like a show about nothing. It's very Seinfeldian. It is. and But it's entertaining. It, it oh, And I think it's more entertaining because of who's talking. Yeah. You're like, wow, they're just, they're just like me. That's right. All right, so let's go to our debut segment. Now, we knew it was going to be a little bit rough heading into the offseason with debuts. This show is uh, premiering on November 5th. Not shocking to anybody, there are no Major League debuts on November 5th. I can't believe it. No. But we're going we're gonna to push through and we're going we're gonna to alter this, this uh, segment a little bit. We're going to go with birthdays and sometimes deaths. Not to not to be too grim, but uh, sometimes, you know, if somebody passed away, we'd like to talk about them. But on this day, November 5th, I've got two birthdays. Actually, there were quite a bit of like 80s and 90s player birthdays, um, but I, I narrowed it down to two because I've got a lot of information, especially about one of them. But uh, born this day in 1970, Javi Lopez. Nice. Now, there were two Javi Lopez's that came on the scene 
one right after another. This is the Braves catcher from the 90s. Javi Lopez. He was a member of the, yeah. He was a member of the 1995 Braves World Series team, played for the Braves for 12 years. He was there when I was working for the Braves. And the, the thing I remember most about him is the ladies loved them some Javi Lopez. <laughs> oh, yes. They really did. He was a handsome gentleman behind the plate. I will I will say that. Uh, I, I mentioned there was a relief pitcher. I, I believe he was on those a uh, couple of those Giants teams that won the World Series uh, at the beginning of the 2010s. Yeah, that's funny. You know what I remember most about Javi Lopez? I had a buddy in school that would always call him Harvey Lopez, and it drove me. <laughs> you know, Harvey Lopez. I'm like, it's Javi. What is wrong with you? <laughs> a lot of those Latin players are named Harvey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Harvey, so very, very common name. name. <laughs> I'm telling you. All right. Now, this one, I have got a lot of information on this gentleman, born in 1973. Johnny Damon. Okay. So Johnny Damon debuted in 1995 with the Kansas City Royals. Yep. That's really, I, I mean, I remember him with the Royals very well. I do too. He was a big up and coming, hey, this like best kept secret kind of guy. And in, in in he's in Kansas City, you know, and he's got power and he's got speed and defense. And I remember that. Yeah. And, and you know, 95 Kansas City Royals weren't doing much. Right. So he was like it. He spent six years there. He was traded to the A's on January 8th, 2001. I remember this. Yep. A big three-way deal. He was traded uh, as part of a three-way deal between the Rays, the A's, and the Royals. He was traded to Kansas City with Mark Ellis to the Oakland A's. So they got <laughs> they got Johnny Damon, which is great. He only spent a year in Oakland. He did right. pretty well. But, I mean, Mark Ellis held down second base for a decade for the A's and was a great player. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a good deal. The A's sent Ben Grieve to Tampa Bay. <laughs> ben Grieve won Rookie of the Year and then really didn't do anything after that. Yeah, I remember Ben Grieve was a big prospect. And then the A's also sent Angel Barrella and A.J. Hinch to the Kansas City Royals. A.J. Hinch, boy, that name sounds familiar for some reason. Yeah, where, where have we heard that name recently? Uh, then also the Devil Rays, they were the Devil Rays at that point, sent Corey Lytle to the Athletics and Roberto Hernandez to the Royals. So every one of these names are, are people, I mean, being an A's fan myself, I mean, every one of these names I remember quite vividly. Now, didn't Corey Lytle, was he the, he then went on to pitch for the Yankees, didn't he die in a plane crash in New York? Like he was flying a light airplane and it crashed into into the uh, the Hudson or something? Was it him? Uh, no, that was Sully Solenberger. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I honestly don't know. I, I remember something like that, but I just could be wrong. I Yeah, so he, uh, October 11th, 2006, Corey Lytle passed away. Wow. He crashed, a uh, small aircraft crashed into a residential building oh, wow. in New York City. But I mean, think about that. That was only five years removed from September 11th. So I remember that made big news when an airplane crashed right. in New York City. A lot of names there in that deal. A couple of other facts about uh, Mr. Damon. Uh, he won a World Series in Boston in 2004. He was part of the Idiots. Yeah, I 
they called themselves the idiots, the big, I don't remember what it was exactly, but uh, a big part of that clubhouse and, and kind of the culture there. He then went on in 2009. He was with the Yankees at that point, won another World Series as they beat the Phillies. Johnny Damon also played for the, the Thailand National Baseball Team as part of the 2013 World Baseball Classic Qualifier. Huh. He was part Thai. His mother was Thai. He contributed backing vocals to the Dropkick Murphys 2004 single Tessie, which we talked about that when we talked about the Royal Rooters and how you know fan, uh, players have been using Tessie as their walk-up song there in Boston since then. He was also part of the Celebrity Apprentice in the spring of 2014. I I didn't know that. Didn't see it? No. no, I didn't see it. He didn't win uh, apparently. Uh, he was also this was big time. He appeared on MTV Cribs and gave a tour of his home in Orlando. Wow. Remember, I mean, Cribs was the thing, like, to show off how wealthy you That's were. Right. <laughs> and what bad taste you have in home furnishing. <laughs> and remember, when you went to the bedroom, everybody had to say it. This is where the magic Yeah, happens. every time. April 2018, uh, Johnny Damon was one of these celebrities who competed on the 26th season of Dancing with the Stars. He was eliminated in the first episode. <laughs> oh, bummer for him. Don't the athletes? I, I, don't, I don't think I've watched that show in 10 years, but don't the athletes generally do pretty well on that show? I, I thought so. I don't know. You know what? We'll get my mom on the line. She watches that thing religiously. All right. That'll get the, that will get the, the listeners. In. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> and then finally, now this one's up. I, I do like reality TV. This one's up my alley. I did see this. Uh, in August of this year, Damon and his wife appeared on the Bravo reality series Below Deck Mediterranean. Okay, never heard of I, it. I've got to admit, this is a guilty pleasure of mine. I love this show. Really? I don't even know what it is. Uh, it's just these wealthy people go on this luxury you know, yacht they, for a couple of days, and it's all about the, the crew and how bitchy they are and and stuff but yeah the guests usually don't look good and johnny damon did not come out looking very good oh, nice are we confessing our, our guilty pleasures here what is what is your guilty pleasure total divas total divas, WWE, oh. total divas. oh yeah, yeah, hell, yeah. I, I cannot take my eyes off that show and and i'm confessing it sort of to hopefully rid myself of this demon let's start a podcast <laughs> just about totally divas i've never seen it but Oh, man. We'll do it. All right. So that's uh, that's our two main birthdays we wanted to hit. All right. Let's let the ground crew do their thing. Let's wrap up our BP segment. We are still trying to play a little catch up from the whole postseason stuff. So we've got some shorter kind of stories, tales, if you will, from the dugout that we want to touch on today. Uh, Mark, do you want to do you want to start us off? Sure. What the heck? I was going to talk a little bit about, have you seen this? Uh, you may have seen a few players using these axe handle bats. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, very interesting. I did a little research into them, and uh, it's, it all is kind of came from this quote from uh, Ted Williams in The Science of Hitting, who wrote uh, that the act of swinging a bat is comparable to swinging an axe. And, and in fact, Ted Williams was known for chopping down trees in the offseason with an axe in order to stay in shape. You know, old school. So, so they decided, you know, let's, let's take a look and see if this is actually, you know, something that uh, is better as far as biomechanicals and consistency, comfort, injury potential, 
stuff like that. And they came out with this axe handle bat. There's a guy, a woodworker named Bruce Leinart, and it's a, it's a Washington State-based athletic company called Baden Sports. And uh, he, spent, uh, he spent a lot of time outdoors, and he was frequently chopping wood, and he noticed how he was able to swing his axe and how comfortable he had fit in his hands. He's a big baseball fan. So he started to think about, hey, I wonder, you know, if, if I could, if this transfers power more than would a round bat handle or not. So he thought, you know, what if I, what if I came up with a bat handle that's asymmetrical, has a flush backside, uh, doesn't have a circular cap at the bottom? And uh, so they came out with this. 2014, there was a study funded by Baden that sought to compare the biomechanics of the axe handle bat to those of the standard bat. And it was led by none other than Dr. Vijay Gupta, who is professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering uh, at UCLA. I know Sanjay Gupta, but I don't know this. Vijay Gupta is a very well-studied and well-known biomechanical engineer. And he was able, he was, uh, he came up with these points about the axe handle bat. One, it is more comfortable in your hands. Uh, it improves performance based on the kinematics and, and enhanced grip stability. Your grip is better, so you actually have the ability to keep it in the strike zone longer. Uh, it delivers more efficient power from the hands uh, to the bat through reduced tension. It creates additional bat rotational speed by adding force over a greater swing angle. It improves bat control and reduces pain and reduces hamate bone and ulnar nerve injuries as well as incidents of thrown and uh, let go of bats. There's, the jury's still kind of out, but there are some big players. Uh, Mookie Betts uses an axe handle, George Springer, Dustin Pedroia, Chris Bryant, these guys have all moved uh, to the axe handle bat. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know Matt Olson on the A's does. He he broke his hamate bone in that second game of the season in Japan. Yeah, and came back. You know, had it removed as as they do. They only remove it when it's been broken. Yes, <laughs> but he removed it and came back and he started swinging the axe handle bat because it was it was didn't hurt as much. Right. There's, it's getting more and more popular and yeah. it's pretty interesting. And it, you know, you talk about the hamate bone, that is, that is a typical injury for a baseball player. Yeah. Who was it? I, I think I was listening to, uh, to our friend, uh, Chris over on turn a pair podcast and they were talking about the, the giants and their world series wins these, this last decade. And I think it might be Pablo Sandoval, Sandoval. How do we say his name? I want to say Sandabar, but that's not it. Pablo Sandoval broke his hamate bone, came back the next year, and then broke his other one. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> I would have just, if he got one of them done, I would have just said, take the other one out. I'm going to be out for a while. Yeah. And Griffey broke it, didn't Griffey broke his catching he did, yes. a ball instead of hitting, yep. which is kind of weird. Yep. Griffey had to have the surgery too. So I started looking into what brands of bats are used percentage-wise in Major League Baseball. What would you think would be number one? Well, I, I, the only name I, I could come up with is Louisville Slugger. Right. But, well, and that was my thought. It was like, oh, don't, doesn't everybody use a Louisville Slugger or most people? That, but they don't. Louisville Slugger is third. Uh, wow. The most used bats are Marucci bats. Oh, yeah. I Actually, I, I know that name from playing MLB The Show. Okay. Marucci uh, is almost a third of all players use Marucci bats, 28.83%. 
Uh, second would be Victus, which is, I believe, owned by Marucci or the same company that owns Marucci. Victus is at 18.36%. Then comes Louisville Slugger at 13.67%. And then, wow. Yeah, and then you start going through, um, you know, the smaller, there's, there's a company called Old Hickory, Sambat. Yeah, I know that one. Sambat. What about, what about Wonder Boy? Any Wonder Boys in there? You know, I, I think only one person ever used Wonder Boy. And then it got broke. The Savoy Special? Sav- Anyone in there? The Savoy Special? I don't see it listed, but I just I thought that was interesting. Um, Louisville Slugger was actually bought out by Wilson Sporting Goods. Uh, they paid $70 million for it. And so Louisville Slugger is not its own entity anymore. It belongs to Wilson. I just happened to see this somewhere on the internet again today. I, I didn't look at it because I knew the story. But Ted, you mentioned Ted Williams even earlier in this story. And how he just he knew his bats so well yeah just like justin verlander you know no he he was mentioning that he could tell that the balls were different this year just by holding sure ted williams knew exactly how much his bats weighed and what his handles should feel like and he got a shipment one time and he pulled them out and he's like these are not the right weight and he sent them all back they reweighed them and they were like half an ounce heavier or lighter or you know, one way or the other, but they weren't correct. And he knew it just from holding it in his hands and sent it back. That's amazing. But you know what? These are the tools of the trade and you use it as much as these do. Uh, you can start to ro- recognize things like that, I guess. To our listeners, if you haven't read The Science of Hitting, it is really a good read. It's just impressive to look at how Ted Williams approached his ability to hit. Very interesting stuff. That's it for Bats. All right, so I've got uh, my story. It's weird that we kind of, sometimes we get a player in our head and then they show up for the next couple of shows. Like, remember oh, yeah. Nap Lajoie's been, <laughs> Nap, been a topic? Nap Lajoie showed up. Uh, I bought a box of uh, Americana cards and uh, my big, it comes with one big card and it was Nap Lajoie. Wow. Yes. He, well, it, so he showed up recently. Uh, Ed Delahante showed up on our last couple of shows after we did a story on him. Right now, it's Tinkers to Evers to Chance. Yes. So, okay, last last show, I said, oh, okay, name me the you know the most iconic double play combination. Everybody knows Tinkers to Evers to Chance. There was a poem in 1910, essentially ends with making a giant hit into a double. Words that are weighty with nothing but trouble. Tinker to Evers to Chance. Now, that would make you think that this double play combination of the Chicago Cubs was this slick fielding, just top of their game infield that is turning double plays left and right. Right. We, you would be wrong. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, all three of these players, Hall of Fame. They're in the Hall of Fame. They deserve to be. They are absolute Hall of Fame players. Their combined lifetime batting average is only 274, though. Hmm. But that is well above the league average of the time, which was only 250. So that's, you know, it's a little bit skewed for what we're used to in terms of what you would look at for, you know, what they're doing with the bat. They were above average there. One thing that is incredible is the number of stolen bases that they had. They all stole over 200 bases in their career. No kidding. Which is, yeah. Wow. So, I, you, you know, they hit well and they ran well. But their fielding was nothing to write home about <laughs> the, for the 
eight seasons that the three of these guys played in the infield for the Cubs. They never led the league in double plays turned. They didn't even finish second. The highest they ever finished was third. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So 1908, this was the last year the Cubs won a World Series before they did a couple years ago. So this was, you know, that the, the, the curse was put on them after this. Well, the most potent, I guess, double play combination in the league in 1908 was from the St. Louis Browns. It was Wallace to Williams to Jones. Right. Another great song. It, it doesn't it doesn't really roll off the tongue. Not really. As well. But that year, the Browns turned 97 double plays. The Cubs turned 76, which was four below the league average even. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, I mean, they just weren't they weren't as prolific as everyone would think they are because of this famous poem. And, you know, the, their baseball cards everybody sees. They always group them together. So in 1908... Uh, Joe Tinker was involved in 48 double plays, Johnny Evers, 39, and Frank Chance, the first baseman, uh, 56. Obviously a bit more because he's going to be involved in almost every double play. Mm -hmm. But listen to these error numbers. (laughs) So Joe Tinker, who was the shortstop, he played in 157 games. He committed 39 errors. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. So again, I mean, you've got to realize that the, the equipment was different. Sure. It's a but but that's still a lot of errors in 157 games. Johnny Evers, the second baseman, committed 25 errors in 122 games. So he played 30 games less, but was pretty much on on course to to be right there with Tinker in terms of those amount of errors. Frank Chance, the first baseman, had 15 errors at first base in 126 games. So they're not exactly slick fielding. Uh, infielders that that is hilarious so the most well-known double play combination defensive combo of all time wasn't all that good at defense no they really weren't so tinker uh turned 101 double plays all or no he's 101st all time in double plays turned by shortstop with 671 101st (laughs) wow evers was 89th on the list of second basemen and frank chance 215th wow. all time at first base in terms of double plays. And he would have the most because, again, he's going to be involved in 98% of double plays, whether it be a 5-4-3, 6-4-3, 4-6-3, a line out, and then a throwback, you know, a 5-3 line, whatever. They all end in three. Pretty much, yeah. So, I mean, it's it was really shocking to me just looking at the numbers here, how they were really not that good. <laughs> that is hilarious. Who knew? Yeah, I didn't until uh, obviously I went through and looked at this. But uh, our boy, though, I did notice uh, one of the uh, one of the leaders in double plays during this little time uh, frame was Nap Lajoy. Oh boy, <laughs> he shows up everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was Nap once again. That was fun though to just to look at all those uh, all those numbers. Uh, but again, Tinker to Evers to Chance, great poem, uh, great looking baseball cards, great Hall of Famers, just not great fielders. Too funny. All right, so my last thing that I wanted to talk about today was night baseball. Obviously, the entire World Series we just watched was played at night. 
there used to be a time not that long ago where all playoff baseball was in the daytime. Even the World Series, even though there were night games, they still played it during the day. Not that long ago. Hmm. Yeah. The first Major League Baseball game uh, most people are, are familiar with was played on May 24th, 1935 at Crosley Field in Cincinnati between the Cincinnati Reds and the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, I mean, that's that's generally what everybody thinks about is the first game under the lights. What if I were to tell you that 55 years earlier there had been a game played at night under the lights? No kidding. September 2nd, 1880, in Nantasek Beach, Massachusetts. So this is 1880. Keep in mind that Thomas Edison perfected his light bulb in 1879. Wow. One year earlier. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta jump on this light bulb bandwagon. The lights, as you can guess, were not very good at that point. An hour and a half into the game, the game was tied at 16 to 16. Uh, most of those runs being unearned due to errors. <laughs> the game was actually called. Uh, not because of the bad lighting, but because they wanted to make sure that both teams could catch the last ferry back to Boston. <laughs> Down the road a little bit, you know, light bulbs, uh, light technology getting a bit better. The Kansas City Monarchs in 1929, one of the most famed Negro League clubs of all time. Josh Gibson played for them. Cool Papa Bell. Uh, some real big names the in the Negro Leagues. Yeah. Yeah. So they constructed a portable lighting system in 1929. This is six years before that first game uh, in the majors at Crosley Field. So the Monarchs were actually struggling to draw and were, and were you know, essentially bleeding money, despite the fact that they were always very successful. And so they needed to kind of have a gimmick. So they put what would have cost today over a million dollars into a portable lighting system that they traveled with. And this is something similar to when you talked about the House of David team. Didn't it was either they or one of the women's teams had actually constructed their own portable lighting system yeah. and carried them around with. Yeah, them. I think it was the House of David. Yeah, so I mean this was 1929. I think this was probably right well I'm they played the House of David. I don't know if this was before or after that. It, was, it seems to me it was before by my research here. It took about two hours to assemble and consumed 15 gallons of gas every hour. Wow. That's a, not a super efficient method of lighting, but they only extended 50 feet into the air. And, you know, knowing baseball, you know, a lot of pop flies and sure. fly balls are hit higher than 50 feet. Right. So there were some interesting scoring decisions, no doubt. I'm sure there were a lot of errors and high-scoring games. Um, another note I found while I was reading about this. So remember back in the original Yankee Stadium, they had the monuments in center field. Yes. And this was before, you know, we're talking way back when. When they were in play, they were just there in center field. Center field was a mile away, but they were in play. So when the Yankees actually put lights in Yankee Stadium for the first time, beyond just having those monuments out there, the generators were also out there hidden behind them. So there's wires and stuff running off of them. So if you had to go back there, it was really 
uh, and I'm assuming you wouldn't want to step on one of those wires if you're wearing metal spikes either. Yeah. Could be a, could be kind of dangerous, but yeah. So there you go. So that's just a couple of quick notes about lights and kind of the history, certainly well before that first game in Crosley field that everybody kind of thinks of as being the first night game. See folks, the kind of stuff you learn on two strike noise who knew, right? I certainly didn't know. That's why I, why I did the story. But there you go. I, I, I'm assuming you're like me. I, I'd much rather prefer day games. I love day games, uh, especially the Saturday day game. That's my favorite. I love weekday day games. The only caveat being is I know I'm going to sit in rush hour traffic on the way home. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, and when, when the Mariners play the 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock games, that's when I end up in terrible traffic. But I do like the day games nonetheless. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for the uh, main part of our show. We're going to head into our final segment, the ever-popular Wax Packs Heroes. And, Mark, we have a freshly minted, I've promised this for a long time, and I we, we finally got it finished, a freshly minted intro for Wax Packs Heroes. I'm so excited. Gonna pull a Wax Pack Hero. stars in his eyes. Wax Pack Hero. There it is. That I I thought that was worth the wait. I think that was uh, that was what I was looking for. Assuming that anybody knows the foreigner song "Jukebox Hero." I tell you what, man, that Wax Packs Heroes song that is possibly my favorite song of all time. It ranks up there with like "Stairway to Heaven." And second best, of course. Second best. Uh, I can't remember the name of the artist, but yeah, that's a really good song. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to go into Wax Packs Heroes. This is where we take a couple of old uh, Wax Packs generally. Today we are actually opening Wax Packs uh, from the late 80s, early 90s. I have got with me a Beckett Baseball Card Monthly from 1992 with Mr. Steve Avery on the cover. And it's funny because it's got a 92 flare card with him batting. Nice. Which, sure, when you think of Steve Avery, you think of the bat. Of course. Uh, but uh, this is what we use uh, when for the values as we look these up. Uh, we each pick a pack, and then we open them up. We reminisce about who we're looking at. And then we also you know, add up the, the value and see who's got the most. So I'm on a bit of a hot streak here. I've won the last three in a row to go up by one. So, Mark, you're going to really need to bear down here. Now, I, I, you know how we talk about how uh, players that come up repeatedly. Um, I actually opened some packs this last week. And I think I should get to use those uh, as, as my – because I pulled a Rick Monday autograph. Wow. Was it on an American flag? No, it's a sweet autograph, though. It's cool looking. But, yeah, I, it, Rick Monday, who we, we discussed here before a couple times – and pulled the autograph, and I was like, hey, I should have saved this for Wax Packs Heroes. Sure, just go ahead and cherry-pick the best cards out of those for your... <laughs> <laughs> that works really well. All right, we'll stick with the same rules then. All right, so today we're opening 89 tops. I can feel the gum in here. Just, you know I mean? mm, the goodness. Uh, all right, I got two of them here. You can choose the one on the left or the one on the right. You've not chosen wisely the last couple of of times, but uh, which one would you like to go with? Well, I've been picking the right and losing, so I just feel like the streak's going to end. I'll go with the right. 
Okay, you're going to go with the right. So I'll put mine over to the side here. We're going to open up our uh, our Beckett and uh, so we can look at our prices. Uh, just interestingly enough, at this point in 1992, common players were only worth one cent. And uh, I don't see that this set was not riddled with errors like the uh, Flare set or the Donruss set was that we used last week. Right. So. All right. So here's your, your pack. Let's go ahead and rip it open. There it is, folks. There is the gum. It, it, they did powder it as much at this point, but there it's broken up into several pieces. We'll auction that off for charity. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No, I got a buddy that loves us. The older the gum, the happier he is. <laughs> okay. Well, you can have it. All right. So uh, you got your junk card about their store, first of all. Starting off. Uh, oh, and uh, forgot. There's a couple of new rules we instituted. Uh, if you are, uh, if you pull a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. And if you pull a player that's got a mustache on the front of the card, you get an extra cent. And I'm glad I remembered because you pulled Larry Sheets, outfielder for the Orioles, uh, wearing a, a mustache uh, to start off with. Larry dancing in the sheets. Very nice. Oh, that's a, I have not heard that nickname, but uh, that is a common card. And uh, Larry Sheets also hit his first Major League Grand Slam in uh, 1986, in case you were wondering. I was wondering that. Yeah. I, I'm sure his mom remembers that, but nobody else does. Uh, next, you've got a manager card from spring training, uh, Mr. Tony LaRusa from the Oakland Athletics. Oh, one of the greats, uh, a, a true legend, a Hall of Famer. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have mixed feelings on Tony LaRusa because he has been known to speak disparagingly of Ricky Henderson at times. How dare he? But I get uh, I get five cents for him being a Hall of Famer, right? All right, so yeah, a, a quick Google search there. He is a Hall of Famer. I, I knew he was in the Oakland Athletics Hall of Fame. I was not aware he was in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. So you do get five cents there for Mr. LaRusa. He does uh, own, I guess not own, but he heads up a animal rescue yeah. here in the Bay Area. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, if they would just use not use prong collars, then it would be extra awesome. Yeah. But that's just me. Yeah. All right, next we've got uh, Al Newman for the Minnesota Twins. What? Me worry? Al Newman. <laughs> That's Alfred Newman. Oh, this is just oh. Al Newman. Uh, now, Al Newman has been a, a base coach for the for the Twins. I don't think he is anymore, but he used to be. But uh, he is not sporting a mustache here, and that is a common card. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess Al came up with the Expos. I seem to remember his cards with the Expos, but I mainly remember him from the Twins. Uh, next, we've got Jose Alvarez, pitcher for the Braves. Wow, I kind of remember Jose Alvarez, but not it, it, nothing jumps out at me. I do not remember him at all. Looking at the back of his card here, first of all, he's not sporting a mustache. He has been in professional baseball since 1978. <laughs> wow. This is a 1989 pack. The back of his card is littered with stats, all from the minor leagues. Uh, he's had a, he had a cup of coffee with the Braves, one game, seven games, uh, and then he had uh, a bigger stint in 1989, but not much... Uh, not much for Mr. Jose Alvarez, who I don't remember at all. 
Uh, next, we've got a nice card here from the Philadelphia Phillies. Sporting a mustache, real stirrups, and a great Phillies outfit. Uh, out. Why do I keep calling them outfits? I don't know, man, but we got to fix that. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> uh, I don't know what is up with that. Bruce Ruffin. Bruce, two minutes for Ruffin. <laughs> Very nice. I I completely forgot about that. And yeah, we got to we got to get through this because I got a Leafs game to watch here. Uh-oh. Speaking of oh, man. two minutes for. For Ruffin. Uh, 518, though, that is a common card, uh, very close to the Nolan Ryan card, which is worth 25 cents, but nothing there, but you do get one cent for the uh, for the mustache. Yay. Uh, you're doing very well with the manager cards. Next is Mr. Davey Johnson for the New York Mets. Mustachioed uh, Davey Johnson? No, he is not wearing a mustache in this, in this picture. Yeah, it, it is strange because he is generally with a mustache. Uh, but that is a common card and uh, not worth anything for Mr. Johnson. Keith Miller for the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, don't remember Keith. He does have a mustache. Uh, he is listed as an outfielder, and this would be his rookie card. I have no clue who that is. You know what I love about these uh, these eighty nine cards is they have got game winning RBIs listed uh, with their stats. Oh yes, game winning RBIs—that wonderful stat we used to just enjoy so much. So uh, Keith Miller is sporting a mustache. Keith Miller with his rookie card is worth two cents as well. <laughs> so there you go. There's a three cent card right for, on uh, for Keith Miller. Uh, next, John Dobson. I remember John. I do not remember him pitching for the uh, Montreal Expos, though. John Dobson. I, I don't recollect that one either. I remember him pitching for the uh, the Red Sox more than anything. Huh. But uh, card number 251, that is not worth anything. Next, we've got, oh, here's a name. And he's wearing the old school California Angels hat. The A with the, with the halo over it and uh, the old school uniform Wearing a mustache, pitcher Greg Minton. Oh, sure, yeah. Greg Minton. He pitched for a good while. He did. Uh, he did not pitch enough to warrant a value on this card. He came up with the Giants in 1975. I remember him with the Giants, just from old baseball cards. Uh, but, boy, he uh, had pitched for quite a while at this point. But uh, you do get one cent for the mustache. Now, here comes a big card for you because you've already got a mustache. You're going to get an extra five cents for being a Hall of Famer. And if we gave bonuses for eating fried chicken before every game, <laughs> you would get another bonus. Ah, let me guess. Wade Boggs. That is correct. Wade Boggs. Card number 600. I'm going to assume this has got value. That is uh, worth 10 cents nice. plus an extra six. So that is a 16 cent card. Wade Boggs. That's beautiful right there. Finally, I got double digits on something. R.I.P. Wade Boggs. What? Uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, that's right. <laughs> All right. So now you've got a turn back the clock card. This is uh, one that shows you an older card, and it is of the new all-time home run king, Hank Aaron from 1974. The great Hank Aaron. I have I have no idea if this is worth anything. It is. It's worth three cents. And I don't believe Hank has got a mustache. So that is 
three cents for you. What about a Hall of Fame credential? Oh, is he in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I would hope yes, so. certainly. <laughs> so that is an eight cent card. Thank you. See, you're keeping me on. Yeah, I, I, you got to watch these guys. <laughs> All right, here we go. Pitcher for the Twins, uh, mustachioed Keith Atherton. I remember Keith Atherton, uh, reliever. I believe. Uh, let's see. Innings pitched. Yeah, he's got to be a reliever. Yeah. Um, came up with the A's. He did. That's why I remember him. Um, he came up with the A's, and I remember him mostly with uh, Minnesota. Yep, that's who he's with here on this card. Yeah, he pitched for, uh, I don't know, six or seven years probably. I do recall him. I remember him being a pretty effective pitcher. Of course, I mean, we can only look at basic stats here. One of which being ERA, which we don't really like anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, he looked like he was pretty middle of the road kind of guy. Topped out with 10 saves in 1988. Oh, there you go. All right, next we've got a picture for the Boston Red Sox. This picture clearly taken at Old Tiger Stadium, which that's nice, but he's not wearing a mustache. Mike Boddicker. Oh, sure. Uh, Let's see. Mike Boddicker is not worth anything. Uh, next, we've got an Angels leader card. That's probably not going to help you out. <laughs> I'm trying to determine. Is it who Gary that is. Sarcina? <laughs> no, it is. Uh, I want to say it might be Johnny Ray, who we had last week. It's a lefty, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I doubt that those leader cards are generally not worth anything, and this one is not either. Uh, Johnny Ray is littered uh, amongst the back in terms of batting leaders. Wally Joyner and Chili Davis and Brian Downing are there as well. And then Mike Witt and Brian Harvey are all over the pitching leaders. Interesting. Uh, it just sounds like too much of a hodgepodge to be worth anything. Yeah, that wasn't. All right, so you're going to wrap up with a Hall of Famer. Uh, we've had him on a recent uh, recent show. I think I drew him. And he's got very light hair. I believe this is a mustache. It's really hard to tell. Uh, Hall of Famer for the Atlanta Braves. Hater of anything to do with baseball these days while broadcasting the World Series. Mr. John Smoltz. <laughs> yeah. It, what, what is with the attitude about baseball? I don't know. Yeah. John Smoltz, though, uh, interesting pitcher. Very. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's, uh, he was incredibly uh, solid year after year. Uh, interestingly, uh, spent a year as a closer and did a darn good job. But mostly... oh, he spent. I think yeah, he spent a couple of years as a closer after he he came off of Tommy John surgery, right? And came back and yeah, I, that was right when I was was working there for the Braves, and I believe he came into an ACDC song because everybody had to have almost the same entrance music at that point. Uh, I believe it was because Hell's Bells was Trevor Hoffman. Uh, I want, it wasn't back in black. It was one of those other like really popular and kind of generic ACDC songs. Gotcha. Uh, interestingly, he has a uh, 200 wins career and 154 saves. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, I believe it was, uh, I believe Dennis Eckersley is the only one that right. is like a, along those same lines in terms of wins and saves. Smoltz, just uh, just to, to throw in here, um, Smoltz uh, won 24 games in 1996, won the Cy Young Award. Then he became a, a closer, and then he went back to starting. Yep. It's just crazy. And, and he did a darn good job. 
Yeah, I think I think Rocker came along too. I think I think he closed for two years, and then you know he came back and was like, "I'm ready to start." And then Mr. John Rocker tried to kill me. You ever notice John Rocker looks like Scooby Doo? He's kind of got that long face and yeah, like, it's like he's like he's gonna go hey! tight ears. Yeah. Like he, yeah, he looked like somebody like pulled all his like grabbed him from the back of the head and just pulled, and everything kind of got tight. It's okay to make fun of John Rocker, by the way. No, folks. John Rocker's an awful human being. Uh, so I, I hate to tell you this, the back of the card is where the gum was of John Smoltz. So this has really damaged the value of this card. <laughs> yeah, the gum <laughs> but it back. is a thirty. It is a 31 cent card because he's got a mustache. Nice. He's a Hall of Famer. And it being his rookie card is worth 25 cents. So that's 31 cents total. Man. Okay. I, I may have I may have picked the right pack this time. All right. So your total is 67 cents. Not bad. Not bad. Way better than my last three totals. Uh, definitely. Definitely a step up from your last ones. All right. So I'm going to take the other pack here. Oh, oh my goodness, look at this. The gum is completely intact. One entire piece, completely intact. It's, uh, you should have it graded. Uh, get PSA to grade it. This is a, <laughs> yeah, this is a PSA 10 uh, as far as gum goes. <laughs> All right, so we got the, the junk store card. Oh boy, here we go. Boy, he must be 104 years old at this time. Catcher. Uh, oh, it says now with the Braves, even though everything says Cubs on here. Jody Davis. Oh, yeah. Jody Davis. I remember him with the Cubs. Yeah, I do, too. I don't remember him with the Braves, uh, but he he caught forever. Oh, yeah. Um, He was like early 80s, um, like the whole decade. He, he caught um, for Chicago. Yeah, he, came, he was their starter yeah, for like he, five or six years. Yeah, he came up with the Cubs in 81 and then was traded to the Braves uh, at the end of the 88 season. Okay. And Jody has the st- Jody has the distinction of belting the 400th club home run at Wrigley Field. Bonus. Uh, next, we've got lefty for the Milwaukee Brewers, Juan Nieves. Juan Nieves, I remember as a pitcher. That that's about it. <laughs> uh, he only threw a couple years, I think. Yeah. Brewers, right? Yeah, it's not worth anything. Yep. Uh, next, we've talked about this guy recently. Middle infielder for the San Francisco Giants, Ernest Riles. Ernie Riles. So he's got a mustache, uh, but his card is not worth anything. But I do get on the board there. All right, so Ernie Riles... Uh, he belted the 10,000th home run in Giants history in 1988. Wow. Now, he didn't hit all 10,000, right? No, he hit most of them, but not okay. all of okay, them. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. But there's <laughs> Ernie Riles. Uh, I've got a lefty uh, pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. I think we've had this guy before. No mustache. Zane Smith. Oh, my gosh. Zane Smith, when the Braves just had nothing, when they were terrible, and they were on every day you know, on WTBS, Zane Smith was all they had. And they would just be like, Zane Smith, you know, he's a god. And uh, he is one of the great pitchers in the world. I just remember them talking about Zane Smith as if he were Cy Young himself. And Zane Smith was a good pitcher. It just was hilarious how he was really all they had. 
Yeah, so in 1987, he went 15 and 10. He led the league in giving up runs with 130. Nice. <laughs> uh, but he also led the league, I think he led baseball with 36 starts. So he's durable. Oh, yeah. No, he, he always, he was a, a solid pitcher. He just played for a really bad Braves team. The year 87 where he won, did you say 15 games? Yep. The Braves were 69 and 92. Uh, well, looking at this, uh, from 85 to 88, he lost 10, 16, 10, and 10. Wow. But he did graduate from North Platte High School in Nebraska. Well, he's got that going for him. Yeah. All right. So next, uh, I have got a catcher from the Kansas City Royals who is smiling without anything on his upper lip, Ed Hearn. I remember Ed Hearn. I don't think he was a starter, was he? Uh, well, this would be, he played very few games in the major leagues. He's got a lot of minor league stats, but not many right. major leagues. So not much there. Yeah, I remember him as a backup, I think for the Royals. All right. This guy I remember as, uh, this is the epitome of a common player. <laughs> Cardinals, Jim Lindeman. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much your common. Yeah. So, uh, Jim though did play amateur baseball in the American Legion program. Because I'm sure most major league players never played American Legion. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, but that card is, as expected, uh, worthless. Impressively common. Uh, well, I've got a Hall of Famer here. He, he's there got a go. beard and a mustache. And, and I say Hall of Famer. I love this guy. But I'm saying Hall of Famer very loosely. Recently inducted Chicago White Sox Harold Baines. Harold Baines was a professional hitter, man. He was so dangerous up there. He could he he would hit for average. He would take a walk. He would hit he had tons of power. He was he was a fantastic hitter. He was a good hitter. He uh does not have a card worth anything here. The except for the six cents the six cents for uh being mustachioed in, in mm -hmm. the Hall of Fame. Twenty two years and Let's see here. He hit 384 career home runs, so not bad. Hmm. Yeah, I don't really think of him as a power hitter. That's that's more than I would have thought he had. Think of him as a singles and doubles, and somebody that looked like he had a piano strapped to his back when he was running the bases. Yeah, he would. I think he topped out at maybe 25 home runs a season. All right. So next, I've got uh, utility infielder Chris Spire for the San Francisco Giants. Wow. Chris Spire, I had no idea. He debuted in 1971. Really? Yeah. So at this point, he had uh, been in the league for uh, 17, 18 years. Wow. My goodness. He had played 20. Uh, the print is so small on this because he's been playing for so long. Uh, 2,200 games at this point for Chris Spire. Wow. I had no idea. Wow. But. He's not wearing a mustache, and uh, that's not worth anything. It says 19 seasons the guy played. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. I did I, not know that. And he's a, like a lifetime 240 hitter, so, you know, he must have been awesome defensively or something. Yeah, he's, I think he's just that guy. They I, they list him as third base and shortstop. I think you just plug him in anywhere. Yeah. All right, this guy we've talked about. We talked about this two or three episodes ago when we were talking about the Nashville Sounds coaching staff. Gino Petrali. <laughs> uh, Gino Petrali. And look at that mustache. 
Oh boy, if you want to see a mustache, make sure you check out our YouTube version of this. <laughs> because this is the epitome of what a baseball mustache should look like. It is straight up Magnum PI. <laughs> yeah, I remember a- this guy from uh the Rangers, right? Uh but that just gives me one cent for that. Uh, that might be a two cent mustache. <laughs> it's that good. <laughs> it's that good. <laughs> All right. Now, I am interested to see what this card is worth. I have got the number one overall draft pick. He is the cover boy for the Beckets that we are looking at. Mr. Steve Avery. Wow. Now, this is interesting. He is the, the picture is of him in the dugout in high school with his high school jersey on. Obviously, no mustache. He was in high school. Let's see. Card number 784. Oh my goodness. This is a this is an all-time high for me. That is a $1 what? baseball card. Oh my gosh. And I don't even want to tell you who's I my next card is because it might be equal. Oh my gosh. Come on. But here Steve Avery, that is worth $1. I I am on a hot streak. Lately. Yeah, I I I feel like you know I I performed well and but to no avail. I I'm just uh, you know when your team gets really hot and it doesn't matter what the other team's doing you're just gonna come back. Yeah. So my next card is a, another number one draft pick. This is the California Angels. This is a picture of him in his Michigan jersey, pitching with his one hand. Oh sure, yeah. Jim Abbott. Abbott. Yeah. Wow. Back-to-back cards here. He was a big prospect, too. Jim Abbott is only worth 50 cents, though. Well, yeah, I think that's prejudice. Well, if he had two hands, then it would be worth a dollar. That's what I'm saying. That's 50 cents per hand, yeah. But Jim Abbott, unlike Steve Avery, threw a no-hitter in the big leagues. He sure did. I think, was he on any of those Yankee teams that won the World Series in the... In the the late nineties, um, he was with the Yankees in for like a couple seasons. I don't remember. If, yeah, interesting. Wow. Something interesting about Jim Abbott. Uh, he won eighteen games in ninety one, and in ninety six he lost eighteen games. Oh boy, <laughs> was that with the Angels? It was. Uh, not a not a, not a good time for Angels. Two and eighteen. But you know he's good. He, he's he good was, enough because you don't you don't march somebody out there with no. a two and eighteen record unless they're you know, he, decent. He came back the next year and went five and zero. Oh, so, all right. So I've still got a couple of cards, even though I slammed the door on this one. Yeah. Uh, next, we've got Manny Trio. We've had him come up a couple of times. Uh, no mustache. I think we can uh, assume that he is a common. Uh, I've got a turn back the clock card from 1984, Mr. Doc Gooden. Doctor K. Uh, that card is worth two cents. Gooden, uh, man, when, no remember mistake. when he was when he was dominant? How funny was to watch? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. He. I. Who was it? Was it? Were we talking about it here, or was he the first guy that people really remember when he was pitching that fans would hang K's in the stands? Yeah, I. I believe. I believe he was the one that the fans started everything with. Yeah. I, I'd rather have the the '84 tops card than the, just the turn back the clock version, but that's still a good sure. card. It, his big season was I'm looking at this. He was 20 years old in 1985. He went 24 and four, and in 276 innings had an ERA of 1.53. Oh my goodness! <laughs> 16 complete games, eight shutouts. Jeez, he was amazing. Just and it's just sad. I mean, he had you know he had the demons, mm-hmm. Ian Strawberry, mm-hmm. uh, just. 
Add the demons. Still do. Yep. Next, all right, I've got, I believe we mentioned this guy a couple of times, John Moses, catcher for the Minnesota Twins, the mustachio John Moses. Yes, and and uh, Seattle Mariner at one point, I believe. That's, I think, why we've mentioned him. But uh, that's just one cent. And then my final card is, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is a young Randy Myers wearing a, what I can only best describe as a porn stash. But this is uh, Randy Myers, uh, the gum on the back of the card, really going to hurt my value. But he came up with the Mets in 85, uh, four years in here. He was primarily an outfielder in high school. In college, though, he hurled a no-hitter with 14 strikeouts. Wow. Uh, But at this point, this card is not worth anything except for that one cent for the porn staff. Uh, Let me do some quick math here. Time for mathematics. Folks, if you're tuning into this show to learn mathematics, this is the wrong show. I have totaled a 162. So uh, another victory Whoa. for the good guys. 162, that's how many games in a season. Well, that's very, it, it, it's, all, it's all coming together. Yeah. But I think these are two of my favorite cards. The, this Jim Abbott and the Steve Avery. Those are some, some good looking cards there. Good cards. Congratulations once again. Another another victory. That's four in a row, I believe, now. The way you're pulling cards, we should get you some expensive ones, uh, some expensive packs. <laughs> we should get out of it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it works that way. But with that win, I do now go up eight to six overall. I'm in trouble. Especially since we're not limiting when the season ends. So I think <laughs> I, you'll be okay. I figured it would end at uh, the last week of the year. And we start right over. now. It ends right it now. It ends right now. All right. So that'll wrap up our Wax Packs Heroes. Uh, again, I, I, it's a lot of fun. We got some good cards today. I, I think Tops generally gives us better cards. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, I'd just like to remind everybody that you can uh, join us, follow us, uh, talk to us, interact with us on social media. We are on both Instagram and Twitter at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. We are also on YouTube now. We've been posting the segment here. Uh, I've got a camera pointing at these cards as we pull them. Takes a little bit longer, though, to edit. I usually don't get them out till the maybe the weekend. But uh, you can see all of these lovely cards. You can take a look at the Steve Avery and Jim Abbott card that I've got right here. I'll throw a link in the show notes, or you can just search YouTube for Wax Packs Heroes or Two Strike Noise. Uh, Mark, this was a lot of fun. It's it's the off season now, so we don't have any actual you know baseball games per se to talk about. But fortunately, we are a baseball history podcast, so we can just keep on going. Do you want to you want to do another show next week? Yeah, you know, I I think there's some more stuff to talk to uh, talk about in baseball history. Yeah, I, I don't think we've covered it all just yet. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's do a little research and uh, come back here in a week. We hope that you will join us as well. And until then, thank you very much for joining us on another edition of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.